you went through school in the 20th century and then you're teaching us who are in the 21st century. So there's a big challenge because first of all, most teachers don't know how to use technology at their advantage, especially in delivering education. We are still in that theoretical way of delivering learning. So it is still a big challenge for us even with a vocational flipped classroom because it's a new way of learning. From the Innovation Village, this is episode 18 of my Village podcast produced through the Next Wave program under the Young Africa Works strategy in partnership with the Mastercard Foundation. And I'm your host, Pauline Achanawing. One of the things that are absolute and we can be sure of in life is change. COVID-19 disrupted a lot of things and the only choice we were left with was coping or adapting. Most of these changes were digital and called for technology to be embraced. The education system in Uganda is one of the sectors that many for long have felt should embrace change. But what does that really mean? And it is the mandate of the government or innovative partnerships are called for to work towards the change we want. On the show today, I talked to Cynthia Abito of Pocket Education. We discuss her journey to initiate innovative changes, especially for vocational institutions in Uganda. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Before I get into the details of what you do, tell me a bit about yourself. I'm called Cynthia Bito and uh, I have a background in physical planning and I studied from Makere University. Um, I'm currently I'm the CEO and uh, co-founder of Pocket Education Uganda. It's what I'm doing currently and uh, Pocket Education Uganda is a platform as a service mobile app that helps teachers, educators, and administrators create flipped classrooms for vocational students to be successful. I'm also the founder and interim director of an NGO called Global Pathways to Success Uganda. And um, we focus on social development, currently working on a health project to curb jiggers in Mayuge district. I'm also a 2021 Tony entrepreneur in the disruptor category, and um, I've won a mentorship, actually it's a recent one yesterday, <laughs> a mentorship program with MasterCard Foundation. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to run for a whole year. So I've worked with Jomi Consultancy and... Lira Municipal Council, so I was the in-house and building analyst. I've also worked with Bright Future Initiative as the field operator and treasurer. I'm a single mom of two children. In my spare time, I play with them, we go jogging and walk my dog. (laughs) I'm a dog person. (laughs) That's basically briefly about me. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell me more about Pocket Education and how the platform really works. Um, Pocket Education was registered officially last year in 2020, in September 2020, but the journey started in 2018 when I met my co-founder and uh, our current chief of 
officer COO at a Facebook event it was for a women event on Facebook and uh, she was specializing on mobile education and i reached out to her because we were going we were having a project the jiga project i told you about in mayuge district under the ngo and uh, we worked on a database monitoring system where we record how many people are sick how many people are getting treatment how many people are still infected so we worked we were creating a mobile kind of sensitization for communities where we would send health campaigns on body hygiene keeping your home clean using sms and mms and we even went ahead to acquire aggregators so that we can push it further but uh, we were frustrated first of all with the how expensive the telecommunications are and uh, then we we tried to work on other projects like MIT solver challenges teachers face in in Africa and um we continued working and then later on in 2000 when covid started it changed the whole situation for us mm-hmm. and we we looked at it as an opportunity for us and uh that's when pocket education came in covid-19 really was a wake up call for all of us What was the process like now that COVID had given you a push into the right direction? I am also curious to know why you decided to focus on the vocational part of our education system. We went through different design thinking ideations. We started with the primary where we wanted to design a curriculum using the app and we wanted to use future funds where you don't need access to internet. but you can as long as you in, you, you know a data system we we have a a ready a designed curriculum you just need to send your um, a text message or mms to your teacher then there's that back to back interaction still i that we were still frustrated by the aggregators like i told you then we went on we even worked on the radio broadcast where students would come in and compete write essays on fiction on science on environment then they compete within each other so the best essay they get to win prizes and also talk about different challenges that schools students face in school uh with a lot of research doing all this together that's when we got into the vocational field and we've realized that in Uganda there's a mismatch between skills needed by needed by employers to employ actually these students and the vocational schools schools is a platform that helps students to 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 acquire more skills and but they lack access they lack the cost is expensive they lack uh, they cannot get acquaintance to all these things internationally that they need so pocket education has come to help vocational students to be creators to be able to think beyond outside the box in Uganda there is a mismatch between the skills Ugandans have and the skills that employers need for for Ugandans to be internationally competitive and uh the vocational training provides a path for Ugandans to get the skills needed but time constraints 
access, cost and quality can make it impossible for Ugandans to receive the skills needed to be internationally competitive. So Pocket Uganda is a platform as a, serv- as a service, which is a mobile app that helps educators and administrators create flipped classrooms through created open educational resources and discussions for vocational students to be successful. When you were talking about your design thinking process, you mentioned something that is key, designing a curriculum using an app that didn't have to rely on internet access, but rather text messages and MMS. I am a mother too, and my children are studying online. We have had to share laptops and phones because it's expensive getting each person their own gadget. But also it has made me think and worry about teachers and students, especially those in rural areas, who don't have access to the necessary digital materials and internet access to study and neither have the training. What has it been like working with vocational schools and students in terms of introducing pocket education to them? It's still a challenge because I'll borrow from one of the EdTech Monday that the village offers. And uh, Vivian, she's the principal of Viva College School. I think she talked about something that her son came to her and said, but mommy, you, you were born in the 18th century and then you went through school in the 20th century and then you're teaching us who are in the 21st century. So there's, there's a big challenge because first of all, most teachers don't know how to use technology at their advantage, especially in delivering education. We are still in that theoretical way of delivering learning. So it is still a big challenge for us even with a vocational flipped classroom because it's a new way of learning but it has been tested in other African countries like South Africa, Ghana, and actually students have adopted and prefer a flipped classroom because it engages them. There's a peer-to-peer discussion between the students, between their instructors, and then the classroom time that they would be spending on theory or maybe they spend it more on hands-on learning, on creativity, on their projects. But Cynthia, isn't this taxing on the facilitators and teachers? Because I imagine there is an overload of questions coming in simultaneously. How have your products or programs been packaged to make it easy to adapt? So our platform is designed in a way where our customers are the schools themselves, first of all. Then we have students, maybe private students, who want to take on the different courses, maybe in entrepreneurship. So we charge in terms of the institution and then as a student. So if it's a school wants to use our product, the flipped classroom, so it's a general fee that we incur for them. And then that school itself, let me say if it is Ntinda um, Vocational School and they are our client, they pay to use our services. So they have the entire system built for them. So Ntinda vocational school has, let me say, 100 students. And then the teachers have their own platform where the all learning content is designed for them. So in a class of 40, they know this class has 40 students. And then they, 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 go th- they send their learning content. They go through with their teachers. It's just like 
classroom, normal classroom, but this time it's flipped. That's why it's called a flipped classroom. It's uh, your classroom brought to you digitally. In this case, you're not seeing your teacher, like normally how you see your teacher every day, you walk in class and see your teacher. But this time you're interacting, it's more engaging with your students themselves, then you're engaging with, with, your, with your instructor also. So that's how the, the, the product is designed. So what advantages do the flipped classrooms, the pocket education app, have over physical classrooms and why should schools sign up for this? We're going to have a training for teachers, first of all, on how to use our product. And uh, on the platform itself, it has something called the backpack where we have all these resources. Let me say if it's a textbook, if it's in terms of science, all that. They have access to all that information. And uh, we, they will also, it will also help them not to overwork, like being in class all the time. The teacher has, or, or a student has time to also do other things. If maybe you're working, you have time to work, then you have time also to concentrate on your work. So it's not going to be only you only being in class full time, but you time yourself. Because we'll have, um, it has assessments where students take exams, the platform has assessments, and then they also take, um, we monitor, give them time. So it's not that it's going to be open all the time. There's time, class time, where we know at disappointed type they're supposed to be doing this and that, yeah. And the advantages to the students? Unlike the traditional classrooms, flip classrooms allow students to receive information and uh, discuss through a digital method. So there's a peer-to-peer discussion between the students and their fellow students and then including the instructors as well on our platform. So this frees up time for students to and educators to spend on hands-on learning, doing project research and uh, research also indicates that students learn more and score highly in exams and prefer this method of learning. So this the flipped classroom is not a new thing in Africa. It's working in South Africa. It's working in Ghana. It does sound promising, not just for vocational students, but it's something that can be adapted broadly in these unpredictable COVID times. What challenges have you faced getting people on board? We tend to worry of new things. We tend to be wary of new things, especially when it comes to technology for people are used to the traditional way of teaching. Getting access to the instructors is hard, getting them on board, because most of them don't even know how to use this technology. So it, like, like I said, it will come again with first taking them back through the process, how is it going to work? So it is straining us at the same time. And then the Minister of Education is also hard to access them. So for you to be able even to reach out and then they accept to work with you must have a better test, something to show. So we are kind of constrained. And then the internet also is a challenge with OTT coming in, the aggregators, the the fees are too high for us. Yeah, so those are some of the challenges we are having. That's tough. 
a lot of work goes into creating and challenging systems. Cynthia, you have a lot going on. You are a single mom, founder of an NGO, you are a Yali alumni, and now you are a Tony Elumelu disruptor entrepreneur. I have noticed the corporate culture can be quite unforgiving and tough on women with children, especially single moms. How do you manage to strike a balance between motherhood and work? That's an interesting question. <laughs> um, it comes with being focused, knowing what you want, first of all. And uh, like being a single mother, you're the head, you're the father, you're the mother, you're everything. And then what I always do in the morning, I have my meetings with my partner. We talk about what we're supposed to do or deliverables that she has for me. And then I work through them. So I finish my work at five. Then from five, we always go for jogging or we play. We can do some work. Then we cook together, make sure I'm involved in their lives until like 10 in the night. Then now I can go back to my work. Then I give myself a break. Sundays is family time. I don't work on Sundays. So I give Sundays for my kids to be involved in their lives. Yeah, it takes careful planning, determination, money, and grit, among other things, to get any business off the ground. What advice do you have for young people out there, especially women with too much going on, to will themselves and start working on their ideas? It comes with believing in yourself, first of all. Because as an entrepreneur, you, you come up with an idea, and then I'll maybe share it with you. The first thing someone will tell you, will you manage? Will you handle? Like, it's too hard. But when you believe in yourself and believe in your ideas, sometimes you even don't know how it is going to turn up, but you start anyway. There's, there's this saying that you learn on the job. It's, it comes with determination, comes with focus, comes with believing in, believing in yourself that you can do it, and then you start. Like all this with the NGO, with the pocket education, is putting yourself out there and starting. All the opportunities will come up. Like how I met my co-founder on the Facebook platform, how I became a Yali alumni, it was online, putting myself out available, how I became a Tony Melo entrepreneur, putting myself out, uh, have getting a mentorship program with MasterCard Foundation is putting yourself out. Once you come out, all these opportunities will come, will come to you. You have to prepare yourself mentally. You have to prepare yourself physically. You must have a sense of direction. What do I want for my life? What do I want? So you work towards developing that, and then all these other things will come to place. And have self-discipline that this is what I'm supposed to do at this appointed time, and you make sure you deliver it no matter what. Sometimes you will have to go beyond even that time. Being an entrepreneur, first of all, is not easy. It's, it's, it, it takes people with a hard muscle. This is something I got from the business foundation class that uh, Innovation Village, the startup, startup your business foundation class. Our instructor was telling us that um, an entrepreneur, you must have the muscles, you know. So it comes with 
at times you don't feel like you want to work, you feel like it's too much, but anyway you have to do it. Yeah. Any particular skills you feel young working people, especially entrepreneurs, should adapt? Good communication skills. You must be open-minded. You must be a creator. You, I will add one, a risk taker. So if you don't have that, it will be hard. You must be able to take risks, even where you don't see possibility. Be bold enough to take that risk. You must be open-minded to learn, to unlearn. And in open-mindedness, there comes opportunities of collaboration where some most entrepreneurs, if you have your idea, you click to it, you feel like if I give it out, someone is going to you know, maybe move ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So you must be able to be open-minded that all these opportunities that come to you Sometimes you have to share your ideas with people. They would say, you change it, do it this way. So if you're an open-minded person, it will make it so easy for you. Mm -hmm. And then it will make you so easy to reach out to people. It will make you be able to collaborate with people. And lastly, you said it was difficult to get access to Ministry of Education. But for ideas and businesses to grow, mentors and partners go a long way you are a beneficiary of the Innovation Village Entrepreneurship or Business Class. What more do you think those in the private sector, like the Innovation Village as well as government, can do to build and sustain pocket education? Your next partner could be listening. Currently, we, are, we really want a CTO on board to help us in building the app. So we, we, re, we want the maybe the village could help us in recruiting a CTO and then also MVP development and uh, playing our radio broadcast on radios for, to, for, to our target market. Thank you very much, Cynthia, for sharing with us your journey as you initiate innovative changes into the Ugandan education sector. And to you, our listener, thank you for tuning in. This is my village podcast produced through the Next Wave program under the Young Africa Work Strategy in partnership with the MasterCard Foundation. I am your host, Pauline Achanawin. Till next time, bye-bye.